Our second lesson today comes from the very last chapter of the book of Deuteronomy in the Hebrew Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 34, I'll begin at the first verse. Hear the word of God. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed Moses the whole land, Gilead, as far as Dan, all Naphtali, the land of Ephraim, and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the Negev, and the plain, that is the valley of Jericho, the city of trees, as far as Zoar. The Lord said to Moses, this is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over. Then Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab at the Lord's command. He was buried in a valley in the land of Moab opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows his burial place to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His sight was unimpaired, his vigor had not abated. The Israelites wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the period of mourning for Moses was ended. Joshua, son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. And the Israelites obeyed Joshua, doing as the Lord had commanded Moses. Never since has there arisen a prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. He was unequaled for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to perform in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh and all his servants and his entire land. And for all the mighty deeds and all the terrifying displays of power that Moses performed in the sight of Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It is way too easy to underestimate Moses getting a glimpse of the promised land at the end of the book of Deuteronomy. The tendency is a glass half empty approach with the focus on Moses never getting there. Most commentators lean into God not letting Moses, as the text said, cross over there. Commentators and preachers point to God telling Moses in the 32nd chapter of Deuteronomy that like Aaron, he would die in the land of Moab because of their disobedience back at Meribah. Meribah was the spot where God brought water out of the rock to quench the thirst of the Israelites 
during their wilderness wanderings. There are two biblical accounts of the rock at Meribah. One in the book of Exodus, one in the book of Numbers. In Exodus, God told Moses to strike the rock with his staff. In Numbers, God told Moses to speak to the rock. But Moses struck the rock with a staff instead. God then called out Moses for his sinful disobedience and for not trusting, telling Moses he wasn't going to make it to the promised land. Some argue that Moses was getting a bit haughty, thinking the power belonged to him and Moses wasn't listening carefully to God. Others might think God sounds a bit nitpicky. Patrick Miller was an Old Testament professor at Princeton Seminary for many years. He died in 2020. Dr. Miller and his wife, Mary Ann, were members here at Nassau Church, close friends to so many of us. They actually taught fifth grade church school. In his commentary on Deuteronomy, Professor Miller argues that Moses was a kind of suffering servant taking on in his being the collective disobedience of the people of Israel. For Dr. Miller, Moses' death before getting, setting foot on the promised land, in the promised land, was less about the Lord's judgment related to Meribah and the rock, and much more about Moses in the bigger theological picture, Moses taking on the sins of an entire generation of God's people. There are slightly different angles to take. But most readers of Deuteronomy 34 underline the verses that tell of Moses never making it to the promised land. The focus is on a sign of God's judgment. This week, I found a handful of scholars, interestingly all women, who were less interested in portraying God as keeping score and more interested in the unique relationship between God and Moses. And they emphasized God's gift to Moses, the gift of the glimpse of the promised land. All scholars agree that no one could see all of the promised land or the places described in the texts from the top of Mount Nebo which is now in Jordan to the east of Jericho and the Jordan River. God showing Moses all of the promised land is therefore more of a spiritual, divinely inspired experience, like the, like the seraph who touched the prophet Isaiah's mouth with a hot coal. It is God touching the eyes of Moses with a holy gift, a glimpse, a vision of the promised land. As one writer puts it, it is as if God took Moses almost to heaven to see the beauty of the promised land. The Lord said to Moses, I have let you see it with your own eyes. The tribute paid to Moses in the last few verses of the book, the tribute certainly outweighs any focus on his disobedience keeping him from the promised land. Never since has there arisen a prophet in Israel like Moses. He was unequaled for all the signs and wonders of the Lord sent him to perform and all the mighty deeds and terrifying displays of power that Moses performed. 
Most importantly, in terms of the relationship between God and Moses over the span of Moses' life, what shouldn't be missed is that it was the Lord who knew Moses face to face here. Not just Moses knowing God face to face. The subject here is God. God knew Moses face to face. Sarah Koenig, who teaches at Seattle Pacific Seminary, she did her PhD in Old Testament here at Princeton Seminary. She points out the unique and intimate relationship between God and Moses here and how it is emphasized further in Moses' burial. She argues that while the NRSV translates in the passive, he was buried in the valley in the land of Moab, the Hebrew is not passive and actually indicates that God was the one to bury Moses in Moab. As the common English Bible puts it, then Moses, the Lord's servant, died right there in the land of Moab, according to the Lord's command, and the Lord buried him in a valley in Moabite country across from Beth Peor. Some point to God's judgment, punishment, an ultimate finger wag at Moses. Crossing all of the theological T's and dotting the interpretive I's, trying to figure out God, trying to figure it all out. Others point to the striking portrayal of God's unparalleled relationship to Moses, the image of respect and honor of God burying Moses, and the holy gift of even a glimpse of all that God promises a glimpse with one's very own eyes. One should not underestimate Moses getting a glimpse of the promised land because it's something to crave. Getting even just a glimpse of all that God promises with one's very own eyes, a holy, divinely inspired gift to see just a snapshot every now and then of God's love at work in your life? A sacred moment, a fleeting observation of God's promise of justice and righteousness rising up in the world? A passing glance of God's promise of God's people living and behaving and loving as God created them to be, working together to make the world more like what God intends? A real-time, real-life, embodied meme of God's promise of grace for you to see and name and experience with your own eyes. After a week, when the death toll from the earthquake in Turkey and Syria soars near 30,000, is it too much, God, to ask for a glimpse of what you promise? As war continues to rage in Ukraine and tensions rise in the relationship between China and the United States and violence has again escalated in Israel and Palestine, is it too much, God, to ask for a glimpse of your peace? As suicide rates continue to rise and more than 50% of death caused by gun in the United States is a death by suicide, and suicide among black and brown people is increasingly at a severely disproportionate amount. Is it too much, God, 
to ask for a glimpse of your promise of wholeness and abundant life. By your grace, Holy One, give us the eyes to see just a glimpse of your glory, your promise in the everydayness of our lives. Jesus promised many mansions on the other side of glory. Jesus told the one on his right and the one on his left there on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise, but some days, most days, we can't wait. We crave, we yearn for just a glimpse of your promise now. To see the beauty of your promise now with our very own eyes. That you might lift us, sustain us, encourage us, and fill us with joy. In his book, Testimony, Talking Ourselves into Being Christian, Retired professor of preaching Tom Long tells of watching a sunset. Over the Chesapeake Bay, one cold winter's day. The sunset that afternoon was not the greatest. About a four out of ten, he wrote. As the sun was about to fall into the water, he turned to look at his dog sniffing around and prepared to head back to the house and shoved his hands his cold hands into his pocket. And at that point, his wife tugged at his sleeve and said with some urgency, look, look. Long writes, I turned around to the surprise that in the short moment I had looked away, the western sky had been transformed. This sunset had saved its best for last, had waited for the sun to disappear before releasing its magic. And like the glowing coals of a dying fire whose flames have already vanished, the sunless sky had begun to burn with an array of vibrant orange and yellow. This latecomer of a sunset was one of the most stunning we had ever seen. In reflecting on the experience, Long goes on to say, my wife, she was just looking at this absolutely luscious and bodacious display of the glory of God and I was facing the wrong direction. His conclusion related to wanting to have a glimpse, wanting others to have a glimpse of all God promises. We see the hand of God at work in life, and we don't want others to miss it. Our main concern should not be to scold people for facing the wrong direction or to try to impress them with our piety. When life is ablaze with the glory of God, what can we do but say, look, look? Or put another way, how can we not both crave and then share God's glory, God's grace, God's love, God's promise, even if just a glimpse? One afternoon last year, I was at the bedside of a member of Nassau Presbyterian Church who was soon to go home to glory. One of our oldest members, the last years and months had brought a steady decline in health, not helped by the isolation of the pandemic. And family members had been in touch with me to give me updates. And I was able to visit several times in the last weeks of life. 
And on my last visit, only days before death, we had what sort of felt like a once in a pastor's lifetime kind of visit. Around the time of the visit, I was involved in some complicated and difficult conversations that had nothing to do with Nassau Church. Tensions and anxieties were high, relationships were frayed. I'd also been sick for a few weeks prior, still getting all my energy back. And all of that, combined with current events and the state of things we all hear about every day and read about every day, it all left me a bit weary and grumpy. On the way to the house, I was pondering how visiting this church member I've known and loved for over 20 years for the last time probably would not do much to help it, help when it came to my cranky, grumpy self. And as I greeted the dear one, it just seemed to me that there was a bright radiance in the room. In response to my voice came a smile that immediately lifted my spirits. Though she did tell me that growing old was the hardest thing she'd ever done, we laughed a lot, we cried a bit, I was asked for stories of our granddaughter, Franny. I heard family stories from her that I had not heard before in the prior 22 years. We sang hymns together, and when I forgot the words to In the Garden halfway through, we both giggled. She shared with me that she told her children the day before she was ready and thought God would take her last night but God knew she would want to talk to me one more time. And I offered a prayer, and I took her hand, and like the saints tend to do, she lowered her head and closed her eyes on the pillow in prayer. And in the prayer, I asked God to bring her together again with the love of her life who died a few years ago so that together they could rest forever in the heart of God. And just then, right then, she looked up, interrupted me, and said, Now, David, do you believe that? And I said, y Yes. Well, yes, I do. She laughed and said, Well, then I do too. And she firmly closed her eyes, lowered her prayer, motioned for me to continue. It was the last time I saw her, and there was something incredibly sacred about it. At dinner that night, my wife Kathy asked about the visit she knew that I had made earlier in the day. And I told her it helped, me, helped to remind me who God has called me to be. Truth is, I saw a glimpse of the promise of God that afternoon with my very own eyes. And no, by God's grace, it was not a once-in-a-lifetime visit for a pastor. It was more than that. And I've had more of those encounters, more of those glimpses, than I could ever count.
a glimpse of all that God promises, a glimpse with my very own eyes. Thanks be to God. Amen.